Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 149, playoff episode number 7. It's Tuesday, October 6th, and just like the A's and the Rays, we are down one today. Uh, no Brickeroli today. Hopefully we uh, get back to the three-person crew real soon. You know, we had uh, a lot to discuss, though, from these first two games, and uh, I'm just sitting here as the Yankees-Rays game ended, and I'm... Um, Sad that it ended the way it did because I just wanted the Rays to come up in the ninth with a chance against the Roldis Chapman. That was the the outcome I was really rooting for as that game was playing out. And of course, it unraveled in a big way. Uh, John Curtis gave up a grand slam to John Carlos Stanton. It was a pretty big mic, mic drop sort of ending for the Yankees offense tonight. Yeah, and you know, John Carlos Stanton... As a righty, you know, they, they asked him afterwards, you know, what what is it about San Diego? He, I actually covered the home run derby, the all-star game uh, in San Diego, where he was just hitting smash after smash off that big video board. Um, and I guess he had a WBC there, too. Uh, you know, the, that was one thing I found when I was looking at San Diego was it's way more friendly. It has one of the biggest discrepancies in varieties and lefties in terms of how many barrels turn into home runs so uh you know righty power stanton ends up being a huge key for 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 the yankees i think for being healthy uh, for being able to smash two grand slams now um and also just changing that lineup you don't have you, they had tyler wade in there for a little bit but there were lineups that the yankees were running out in the middle of the season that had three or four holes in it you know this one pretty much has one hole max. And if you wanted to give it two holes today, because at some point Tyler Wade and Kyle Higashoka were in there, Higashoka hit a homer. So uh, that's what happens when, when things are going well for you. He uh, hit a big one, too, because that, that swung the momentum really back in the Yankees' favor after G-Man Choi gave the Rays a 3-2 lead. Uh, I think this is a, a fascinating game because the Yankees didn't get the ace performance from Garrett Cole. They just got a good performance of Garrett Cole. So from the Rays' perspective, they did enough to put themselves in a position to win this game, and unfortunately they didn't. And I think it was really uh, the fifth inning. Blake Snell stayed in the game. Diego Castillo was warming up. The Yankees pulled ahead, and they didn't end up using Castillo. The Rays kind of went with the bottom half of their bullpen instead of the top half of their bullpen. And sure, that's good for games two and three to have everybody that you really want to have fresh you know, fresh for those matchups. But if Snell gets to that fifth inning, it's a totally different sequence in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth as far as who we would have seen pitch in this game. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a huge uh, inning, that last one for him. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know about the game plan for, for Snell. It was weird because I asked him about his changeup before the game, 
and his changeup did get like 80% ground balls this year. And even in this game, uh, he threw a ton of changeups and it still, you know, um, didn't get hit that hard. It wasn't, that wasn't the problem. However, he didn't get any whiffs on it. I don't think. And it just, he didn't get many whiffs generally, you know, Four strikeouts in five innings sounds like, oh, like he did okay. But like in terms of like when you like kind of break it down into, you know, his pitch types, he got one whiff on the four seam. He got zero whiffs on the changeup. He got two whiffs on the curveball and two whiffs on the slider. All of his whiffs basically turned into strikeouts. You know what I mean? He had like four strikeouts. He had five whiffs. So there was something. And I like even watching it, I couldn't figure it out. Like I feel like. I feel like they just had a really good game plan or something. Like maybe they were going to like lay off the, the four seam, although 16 swings and 30, that seems normal. Ah, man, they just, they figured something out. I think maybe, yeah, I don't, did you like, could you tell me why Blake Snell wasn't good today? I can't figure it out. I I really can't. It wasn't like he was wild, right? It wasn't like, didn't seem like it. Didn't seem like he was missing his spots too often but they i mean you look at the hard hit balls blake snell i think gave up eight hard hit balls garrett cole gave up eight it wasn't huh. th- their performances weren't that different yeah. and yet i mean the long ball killed snell but cole gave up two homers too yeah. like I, I just i don't know man this was just a weird game for blake snell especially after he looked so good against the jays yeah and i and, the, and you, i could you could have this feeling that like if the if the last inning had just gone differently for for blake snell you know, yes, the reliever usage would have been different for the Rays, and the whole narrative would have been different. Um, yeah. And and yet, it's not like there was uh, an obvious mistake or like a call or anything. I I had a hard time figuring it out. I'm like watching Snell. I'm just like, why isn't he getting whiffs? He's still throwing. You know, he averaged 96 on the fastball. Um, he just didn't throw many sliders. So that's that was a little bit weird for me. The slider's been a huge pitch for him. So I don't know why he didn't throw as many sliders. And it got more called strikes and whiffs than any other pitch. And yet he only threw it nine times. So it almost seemed like maybe there was a faulty game plan there. Um, but, uh, yeah, once you get into the soft underbelly of the Rays uh, bullpen, you get, you know, John Curtis. Um, and uh, you get a postseason debut. First time ever. Shane McClanahan throwing 98s and 99s. I mean, it was pretty exciting, but also, dude looked a little stressed. <laughs> uh, dude looked like he was 16 out there, you know? And, like, he ended up running into the second baseman, ended up running into uh, Brandon Lau on a, on a, on a play, and, um, yeah, lost lost a batter, and, yeah. He should have been throwing a couple more breaking balls. He was very happy with his fastball, too, so... Anyway, uh, that's, I guess that's why you don't debut a guy in the postseason, right? I guess that's why you, yeah, you like kind of want to get your feet wet, <laughs> at least have one regular season appearance before you before you debut in the postseason against the Yankees. At least to the point they brought him in, it was after the Curtis Grand Slam mm-hmm. to Stanton. So at that point, it was kind of decided, right? Yeah. It was like, well, we're going to break him in on the big stage because if we need him in a bigger spot, at least that won't be the first time that he pitched in the game. So uh, a silver lining sort of performance. But yeah, he ran into Brandon Lau. The reaction on Lau's face was just like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you even near me right now? It was just, 
disbelief and probably frustration from how the inning had been playing out, of course, too. Uh, but yeah, Blake Snell's start, definitely a mystery to me. Uh, as I said, Cole, I thought he was good. Got a little better later in the start, and that was the key, right? He sort of turned a, a mediocre first couple times to the order into a strong finish, bringing 99 and 100 to get a couple of key whiffs at the end of that outing. So again, that's what an ace like that does, right? On a day where yeah. he doesn't have his absolute best stuff, he holds it together and at least turns in a quality start before leaving. Yeah, the fastball command's not always there for him, you know? And I think maybe he kind of recovered and got that going late in the, later in the start. But one thing does stand out to me, 11 strikeouts for the A's and four, uh, five strikeouts, no, six strikeouts for the for the Yankees. Um, that's a fairly big difference. And where they came, Willie Domus had three strikeouts. He's at the bottom of the order. Um, he's right where you kind of need someone to like run into one. You know what I mean? Like all the guys in front of him, Randy Arrazarena had a big home run, three for four. Um, you know, uh, G-Man Choi had the homer, got on base. Even Manny Margot got on base. If Wendell, Adamus, and Kiermeyer had done anything more than uh, two for nine with five strikeouts, you know, um, they they might have uh, stayed in a little bit tighter um, or, or or changed the narrative by uh, changed the game by being ahead, you know, and getting the better relievers in there. But um, you know, it's uh, it's not the it's not the deepest lineup. It's uh, it's the kind of lineup where you need a couple guys to run into to 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 homers and 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 keep you in the game. It's really interesting. I know he had a terrible regular season and he missed time with COVID, but Austin Meadows wasn't in the starting lineup in this game. It's a lot of faith in Manuel Margot in particular, right? I mean, that's a guy that ordinarily would be a small side platoon guy playing against lefties, and Austin Meadows would get the start against a righty, especially a tough righty like Garrett Cole. I don't know if that means anything beyond this season, but it gives you a pretty good insight, I think, into where the Rays think he's at right now. Yeah, and you know, I looked at... It was an oblique injury for, for Meadows. Yeah, it was it was an oblique injury. Yeah, COVID plus oblique. Um, the, the, I was trying to look at, like, why did he strike out 33% of the time when he's never struck out anywhere more than 23% of the time, you know, and he established himself as a major league who strikes out around league average. Why did that happen this year? And I saw this like walk rate and was like, oh, maybe he was super patient. But if you look at his swing rates, that's not what happened. Basically, his zone contact rate just went through the through the, the, the basement. You know, his reach rates, his zone swing, like most of his swing rates are kind of in line with what he's done in the past. It's just zone contact. And so what I think, and, and you know, you're looking at, uh, pitch types and be like, oh, maybe they just threw a bunch of sliders to him. Nah, you know, like a slightly, slightly more cutters. But I think his bat was slow. In the one at bat that I saw, his bat was slow. He couldn't catch up to a heater. He struck out on a heater. So um, it seems like a general fitness. Um, you know, everyone reacts to COVID differently, and uh, obliques. Uh, you need to turn your body. It's a rotational sport. So. Uh, I think I think his bat might be a little bit slow right now. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start tomorrow. Yeah, maybe he's just a bench guy at this point, and that's what they're going to have to do. But uh, you think about guys that going into the season, we expected to have a big role in the Rays offense. If you said, tell me a story about the Rays winning the division and how they're going to advance in the postseason, that story offensively almost certainly would have included Austin Meadows being yeah. uh, at the forefront. Brandon Lau sort of picked up the slack. He had an off night 
on Monday night too. So that certainly didn't help the offense at all. But uh, to get what you expected from Arozarena and Choi as your three and four hitters, that doesn't work for most teams. Most teams cannot get away with that. And the Rays did. Those guys were amazing. And it just happened to be uh, in a losing effort. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's go to the Astros A's matchup. Uh, Dodger Stadium plays a little different than the Coliseum <laughs> in Oakland, as the A's pitchers found out. I mean, normally you get cool temperatures coming off the bay in Oakland, and it suppresses home runs. It was hotter than usual in Los Angeles for early October. I think it was like 90 degrees. So the ball was really flying today. I think the thing that really sticks out in my mind is the very first thing that was in Jake Kaplan's write-up about the game on The Athletic. I mean, it was the Marcus Simeon error with two outs in the sixth, right? If that play is made, the A's are holding a 5-3 lead going into the seventh, and they're using their best relievers to get those last nine outs, and they're probably sitting with a win in game one instead of looking at game two and saying, oh, crap, we got to get one now, otherwise we're going to be in big, big trouble. Yeah, yeah, those four runs in the sixth really uh, changed the flavor. Put that, but you know, even with those, you know, it was seven to five. Um, even with the next run in the seventh, eight to five, you, you felt like this one was uh, within reach. And they did force Houston to use Christian Javier, which was something that we thought they might do, but also means that they used two of their five starters. Uh, in the first game. So either someone's going to have to go long or they're going to have a whole staff game or uh, they're going to have to try and repeat this performance in game five uh, if it get, if it gets there. But I'm a little bit... Um, one thing I wanted to say, though, uh, there's so, some of the uh, ball flying out today thing was overstated, I think. As much as I found in the past that Dodger Stadium d- is friendly to high drives, um, you know... The Matt Olson home run was hit 109. I mean, that ball was slaughtered. <laughs> and the uh, Carlos Correa home run, 106. The second Carlos Correa home run, 105. The Sean Murphy home run, 105. The collective expected batting average on – and the the Chris Davis one, 104. The collective expected batting average on all those uh, homers was around 900. So – I think those would have been out in most places. I think Bregman's might have been the cheapo. Um, I'm looking here for Bregman's homer. It was only 96 miles an hour and had a 260 uh, expected batting average. But there is one thing I will tell you about Alex Bregman. He is the king of the cheapos. I mean... Yeah, that's what he does. He hits like the, the just enough angle and just enough exit velo to hit it barely out it's still a home run the same way yeah. right you can hit it out by 50 feet you can hit about by 50 millimeters it's still a home run and it's the it's the brian dozer special man he's just like he's like a pull power alley guy and i think he, he's lucky that in a lot of parks that that isn't a deep part of the park he hit a 370 a lot of pull power alleys are 360 you know it's just enough so I, I, that part uh, a little bit overstated however i will say um and it's maybe not polite 
to say this after a one game win when everyone um it's in everyone's best interest for everyone to pay attention and stay in, stay with this and, and, and stay, you know, stay engaged. I, it's, I'm having a hard time seeing a path forward for Oakland and I don't want it to be like recency bias and be like, Oh my God, they lost that game. Yeah, they suck. They're done. But like, uh, like what happens? Like Montas shoves for five innings and Lizardo shoves for five innings. You still have to cover those four innings. They've been throwing Lou Trevino who I, 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 I don't know why he's bad, but he's not good. And, um, you know, like, I'm not sure that the bullpen is deep enough. And then even if you say, okay, we've got enough bullpen and we're going to get enough from Montas and we're going to get enough from Lizardo, you still have to win one more game. And that one game tomorrow is going to be started by Sean Manaya, who, you know, I've made my feelings clear about Sean Manaya. So, I love him as a person. Um, I don't. I don't get how he's skated along in the regular season, and I. Um, I can't imagine he's going to go more than two or three tomorrow. So now you're using your bullpen before you even get to Montas and Lazardo, and Montas and Lazardo haven't given you length. AKA, I'm depressed for the A's. You know. Well, mostly I think they just have to outslug Houston. Like that's that's the script if they're going to get it done. And they mm-hmm. were positioned to do that in game one. Both starters struggled. Both starters failed to go deep. And the A's were positioned with a pretty high win probability before that error. So things looked pretty good. And it's disheartening because the series is so quick and one game's a huge deal. I think the thing that's also disheartening is that the Astros, with that soft underbelly, we're able to get five scoreless innings out of the bullpen today. And even though they used Javier, he threw 25 pitches. He'd be good to go probably by game four in, in like a longer they scenario. They did not use him like they used Frambois Valdez. They used him for one inning. Right. So he can probably come back. I mean, if he had to come back Wednesday, he could. But I would imagine they could look at him in Thursday and say he's basically fully rested. If we want him to go four or five innings, no problem whatsoever. Tandem, tandem do that. him again. Yeah, I could see that. You're right. You know, I think using Mara Petit, you know, it's sad that they had to use him because he is, I think, one of the most underrated relievers of our time. If you look at the last five years, he's a top 50 reliever, and he just does it by giving length. Um, you know, he's a guy that has had 90 innings out of the pen, 90 innings. He's done this in the last five years. He's done this in the juice ball era, be a top 50 reliever. And a lot of the guys ahead of him have come in and gone. You know, names ahead of him on the list are like Cody Allen and uh, uh, Addison Reed, you know. Um, So it's hard to kind of do what he does. There's almost nobody else who's like giving you that many innings. He's like a a modern glue guy. And um, maybe that means he can give them more innings. I mean, it wasn't a full year for him. It wasn't like a hundred inning uh, year out of the pen like it usually is. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they had to use him. They had to use Jake Diekman, uh, who is definitely – you talk about I, – I think it's actually interesting that you as a Brewers fan um, talk about like the winning relievers and the losing relievers a lot because I think that's part of <laughs> the Brewers' brilliance is like they have the relievers that are good and then they have some other guys that they pitch when they're losing. <laughs> you know? yeah, um, every once in a while, the guys that they pitch when they're losing are good enough to keep them in a the game and they come back and win, and that's a – but they make sure that their ones that they pitch when they're winning are really good, you know. Yep. And they don't have to. They don't have to have a full bullpen. They just have to have three or four that are really good. So the A's use their winning relievers in this one. Not all of them. I mean, not like Liam Hendricks, but almost everybody else. Deekman is a winning reliever. Yes, he only went, uh, you know, point two of an inning. Uh, he only got two outs. 
But Petit is a winning reliever. Mike Miner, I think, might be a winning reliever. Um, so they use a lot. Wendelkin has been a winning reliever for them. So, um, yeah, that that uh, that that part's depressing. Uh, but the part that's not depressing, uh, Chris Davis, looking pretty good, showing some pop. When he's good, he's good. So that could be a big boost. Again, if these games turn into slugfest, especially they need him to show up and come up with a few clutch hits, especially a couple of long balls. That'd be really big for this offense. It's a good lineup, man. If you look at it, uh, even if Jake Lamb uh, isn't considered, like my, some people might consider him a hole, he hit uh, the hardest hit ball today uh, out of anyone. It was a double play ground out, but <laughs> it was the hardest hit ball of the day. And he's been hitting the ball hard. So if you give them Chris Davis and you say Jake Lamb can be at least, you know, sort of league average-ish, then they don't really have a hole. Uh, Loriano hasn't been playing amazing, but Sean Murphy is like the best nine hitter in the playoffs, maybe. I don't know why they keep playing him in the nine hole. I think he was the best hitter on the A's this year. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's a good lineup. They, they, that I guess that's that's their chance. It's a good lineup. He's a little buried there. There was one guy in the Astros parade of relievers today, Enoli Paredes, a couple strikeouts, two scoreless innings, didn't walk anybody, didn't allow any hits, only had one hard-hit ball against him. He is the stuffest dream as far as relievers go, where you get those big grades on the pitches, you get the low grade on the command, but <laughs> he came through in a big way, and I think he's one of those guys that, you know, as we try to figure out what they're going to do throughout the postseason and possibly in the next year, I think he could be a pretty big factor in their plans, especially if he stays in the pen. Yeah, he hit 98 a couple times, uh, got four whiffs um, on uh, 18 fastballs. That's a pretty good uh, pretty good rate there. Um, looked pretty good. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of anybody who starts their name with Eno, so I'm <laughs> on board there. Yeah, K rates during the season are a bit lower than you'd expect for a guy with the quality of the stuff that Paredes has. So curious to see how he gets used in big spots going forward. Uh, for these two series, we've talked about matchups for tomorrow. First from Astros A's, it's Framber Valdez against Sean Manaya. Uh, the one thing we didn't know when we last spoke was that Davey Garcia is going to go in Game 2 for the Yankees. So... That's going to be pretty interesting because if that doesn't go well, are they going to go with a starter from later in the series behind him and kind of piggyback it? Or are they going to dig into their bullpen depth and run the risk of using everybody? I think that's a you know high risk, high reward sort of move, but certainly one that you feel a little better about after taking game one. Yeah, Lindsay Adler had a good point uh, on Twitter, and I think she actually made it um, a long time ago and kind of retweeted it today. Um, that was uh, pretty interesting. She was talking about, you know, maybe what you do is, um, you know, go ace in one and put your uh, number two starter in the third game. Um, and what you're doing is sort of baking in, um, not necessarily a loss, but baking in a stopper. Like your number two guy is going to go long enough to give some of your bullpen rest. Mm-hmm. And that's in the middle of the series. Right, right. So, so you're saying, you can use them back to back in four and five. Yeah, you and you're to. saying, Davey, you know, um, we, we're gonna we're gonna pull you pretty quick, right? And um, I think you, between Davey and Hap, you've got a cool little tandem there, where you've got like a short right hander and a uh, who throws reasonably hard. Then you get this tall left hander that doesn't throw hard. You know, you know, you get different uh, packages from those two guys. You can maybe get through four innings with those two guys. 
maybe five, and then you just use the bullpen the rest of the way, uh, and then you try to give them the night off with Tanaka. And you say, Tanaka, we kind of need we kind of need six or seven from you. So yeah. And uh, if you win game two and then you throw Tanaka, uh, then maybe you can burn out your bullpen if you have a lead because you're going for the sweep. You yep. know what I mean? So going going for the big rest. Yeah, and it, and if and if you miss that shot at it, then maybe you have to rest some guys in four and then come back in five to win in five. You know what I mean? So um, do do you think that? Um, I don't actually feel as much pessimism about the Rays in that series, even though I point out the strikeout rate and the strikeout rate has predicted every series in this, except for Rays Jays. Um, the one thing that changes for me a little bit is that I think Tyler Glass now is amazing. I think yeah. sometimes he is the little, little girl with the curl where like, it's really terrible or really great, but uh, I think he can go, you know, six with, eight punches again and keep them, keep them below two or three runs. So uh, that gives them a shot. Yeah, they definitely have a shot with, I think a pretty clear edge in terms of the game two starting pitching matchup. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see what the Yankees plan is. My guess might be they're saving Hap for four. Jordan Montgomery might be that bulk follower behind Davey. Cause you still do the righty lefty thing. And there, if it goes five, there's no chance that, Jordan Montgomery starting that game. Right. It's Garrett Cole, a hundred percent. Like it, it has to be Cole. So yeah. I think Montgomery is kind of available as the emergency bulk guy whenever they need him, and they're kind of assuming game two is going to be the first time they're going to need him. They'd certainly be better off with with Paxton. So it's, I don't think it is uh, fair to say the Yankees are fully um, healthy, but uh, that lineup sure scares the crap out of me. I don't, I don't even have to pitch to it. Oh, it's a brutal lineup to have to try and figure out a game plan for. And they and they game plan well. It's not just good hitters who go up there with a bunch of power. Like They go up there with a really good plan, too, as we saw uh, against Blake Snell. I feel like they alternate totally different kinds of hitters. You know what I mean? DJ LeMahieu is like a contact guy, right? Then Aaron Judge comes up who's like, okay, on contact, but super power, you know? Then you have Hicks comes up there who's actually like a super patient guy. You know what I mean? And then you have Luke Voigt mm-hmm. who comes up and he's just going to hit the snot out of the ball and Stanton. And then you have Ursula who's actually kind of a contact guy. So they, they really alternate well and it must be so hard to get through that. And then you have Clint yeah, Frazier mix and match. You know, I asked Clint Frazier in the Arizona fall league, um, you know, are you worried about the strikeout rates? You know, how are you going to get those down? And he goes, he gave a little bit of a longer answer where he's talking about, you know, pitches and pitch types and stuff. But at the end he goes, but in the end, I just got to let it eat. And that's what he did today, man. He let it eat. He hit a pretty high fastball, uh, pretty deep into the into the uh, into the non fans. By the way, if there were fans in the stands, Aaron Judge's home run might have harmed one because that thing was just a laser. It, it looked like one of the lowest home runs I've ever seen hit. Uh, unbelievable! That's just the the incredible raw power he brings to the table. Uh, we do know that the Marlins are going to use Sandy Alcantara in Game 1. I think that was assumed when we last spoke. That's been confirmed. So Alcantara versus Freed when the Marlins open their series with the Braves. Nice four-game set. What we don't know still is the Padres' plan for Game 1. There's a chance that it is going to be Mike Clevenger, but that is not confirmed at this point. If it's not Clevenger, it's supposed to be Chris Paddock going up against Walker Bueller. So... The Padres are going to hold into that one as long as they possibly can. I imagine we find out maybe mid-morning on Tuesday at the earliest. 
Yeah, um, it, like it's hard to to figure out, um, you know, who who uh, who knows. And I I feel like everyone's working their contacts. You know, everybody that works the Padres beat is working their contacts, and they're they're trying to figure it out. And I've seen different reports where it's like it's definitely going to be one of the two. That's just the weirdest idea. Why would it definitely be one of the two? <laughs> like I, I don't. Does that mean they're both healthy? That you, you know something? Are you telling us that they're both healthy? It's definitely gonna be one of the two, or they're just gonna throw a dart and be like, which one do we want to injure? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. So um, you, know, I did want to look up real quick uh, how many homers uh, were uh, at a lower launch angle than Aaron Judge's because he hit his at twenty, um, and uh, there was only. Uh, looks like let me change the sort order on this so I can give you the right number. There were only, well, only I say, but twenty-five homers in the lower launch angle all season by the entire That's league. the whole season. Yeah, and amazingly, yeah. I think it says here that Austin Hayes. Hit one at eleven degrees. Like, <laughs> Are we sure that's part- accurate? Oh, inside the park home run. Yeah. yeah oh, how many go. of these are inside the parkers? Oh, there's so many. Okay, okay, you got to erase like three, two or three out of there. Uh, the really close, the really lowest one was Williams Estudio with a uh, sixteen degree line drive, as it was said, to left field <laughs> off of Zach Plezak. But uh, yeah, it was a low one. It was a screamer. It was a fun one. Uh, I want Clevenger Lamette to be in there. If you're asking me, like what I think is going to happen, I think Lamette it seems closer. It, you know, it's a bicep thing. Um, he's had more rest time. Uh, you never the word elbow was necessarily mentioned. Uh, so if you're gonna if you're gonna guess that it's one of them, then I guess I'm gonna guess Lamette. Uh, I feel like it's Clevenger just based on the reports I've seen, but at the same time, I wonder how. Good the information that that they're being given is that it was going to be one of the two. I saw one from the San Diego Union Tribune. Kevin AC said it was going to be one of the two. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's I don't know. That's bizarre. No one, no one knows at least for sure. At least no one's been told for sure by someone who says they can tell someone else. So yeah, we are all left to guess. Uh, anything else that caught your eye on Monday uh, before we get out of here? You know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, whether or not there should be, um, you know, the, whether or not this is aesthetically pleasing and, you know, we should have more balls in play and stuff like that. And I do think it's a relevant discussion to have about baseball in general. I do think the fans look up and are more engaged when there's a ball in play. Um, we're at the you know, all-time low of the ball in play. But I did want to say that both of these games until the ninth inning where, you know, the scores uh, changed irrevocably uh, – the score always changes irrevocably. You can't revoke the score, you idiot. Uh, but, you know, the cha- the scores changed in a more dramatic fashion in the ninth inning in both these. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, these games were close, I thought. You're talking about a 10-5 game and a 9-3 game. It sounds like there were just blowouts and it was all about homers. And it was all about homers. But because it was all about homers, when it was like 7-5 and 8-5 late in the game uh, or 5-3, you felt like they were one swing away. And that's that's enticing too, you know, especially in a playoff ball where you're 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 more in, inclined to like sit on the edge of your seat. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I felt going into the end of the Yankees Rays game that we were going to get a chance to see the Rays put the 
uh, go-ahead run maybe at the plate, or at least the game-tying run at the plate. All they do is get one guy on against Chapman, potentially, and one swing could have tied it in that scenario. And, you know, because things unraveled, that didn't happen. So you're right. These games were a lot closer than the final score would lead us to believe. And if every team goes in there with that ability to hit the long ball, then I don't think it's as aesthetically terrible as it could be. Like At this point, I feel like the teams are even enough where you feel like just about anybody stepping up to the plate right now can actually come through in those spots. There's not a huge underdog with no power. Well, those teams really don't Marlins. exist. We'll I think even they've got a handful of guys, though, that you look at and you say, actually, yeah, Jesus Aguilar and yeah, Garrett Cooper, Cooper, these guys yeah. can actually do some damage. They don't have it. They don't have them hitting out of the eight and nine hole the way that some of the other teams do, though. That's that's a key difference, Yankees. right? The, the depth of a team like the Yankees is just incredible. It's on full display, uh, as, as we've seen already just in these first handful of playoff games. Yeah. And then the, the last thing that I, I just, uh, just a complaint, it's kind of insidery, kind of insider baseball, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, there, there, there's things that beat writers do that, that it's funny. So it's like, it's kind of funny. The grainy, uh, spring training trick, uh, spring training pictures. You've seen that. That's kind of funny. It used to be a Tumblr a long time ago. Is Tumblr still a thing? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't go on it if it is. Um, the uh but that's like you know every time uh some, someone every time spring starts uh the beat writer has to kind of be like oh you know there's also the trope of like uh, this is where i get to work you know or like arrived at the office or you know what i mean like there's these there's these like funny things that beat writers do some people get annoyed at those i don't get annoyed at those i do get annoyed at one thing i do not need a play-by-play on twitter i go on twitter to see reactions and to feel like we're all together. If you're going to give me a play by play, that's like 15 to 20 seconds ahead of my TV, then (laughs) you're spoiling. It's called spoil. It's a spoiler. It's not good. And I guess there's maybe people on the bus who want (laughs) to can't don't have the game and they want to know what's happening. They can wait 20 seconds. That's all. I'm sorry. They can wait 20 seconds. Here's the thing, though. For people on the bus, they can just get the MLB app on their phone and watch the pitch-by-pitch, play-by-play there. That, that's where I always wondered, like, wh- who is the audience for the play-by-play oh, tweet? Oh, my God. I, and I think it might just be for to be the first so you can be the people, like, share it, right? So you're the first person who say Matt Olson homered, and then people can retweet you saying either Matt Olson homered or, like, wow. I love the, like... That's another one too. Like I've tried it sometimes, so I I can't like lie and say that I've never tried it. But I saw like Jeff Passman wrote like Wow Giancarlo, and he got like two thousand retweets. And how many new follows do you think he got? Out of I don't that? know. I mean, he's but, got a ton of followers anyway. It doesn't. And that's probably why. That much. That's, that's why. But at the same time, I've tried it a couple times. I was just like, Wow. <laughs> see what happens um no but that's what people want to do is like you know matt olson hits a homer they say it and then someone retweets it and be like oh you know it was great or let's go a's or whatever it is but um i had two homers spoiled today in that a's game i'm watching the game and i drifts over to twitter ah oh, dang it and then i have to wait like 15 seconds oh there's the homer so uh, I had to, yeah, I had to unfollow somebody for that one today. 
Well, I help my own sanity for the better part of the summer by taking the Twitter app off my phone, so it makes me a lot less likely to see a spoiler. I have to be at my computer to see a spoiler. Yeah. And so shame on me for looking. Well, the play-by-play thing's not new. I mean, this has been a a flaw of Twitter since it launched. It was one of the first things that baseball writers realized they could do. They're like, oh, wow, I can... I could be the computer here. I can put the <laughs> yeah. things out there that are already over in this other space, but I think it's next to my picture. I think you know uh, there are very few people who are uh, that traveled uh, for these games, right? Um, there's a whole lot of reasons not to, and and um, I think that being there uh, has some value, uh, but I think a lot of it is like like tell me who's warming in the pen. Yeah, they don't always show that on TV, right? Like, yeah. Fill in the details. Um, you know, I've noticed uh, when I went early in the season, uh, there's some body language stuff. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of body language meaning that much, but there was some body language stuff with, like, Chris Davis early in the season where it looked like he was really struggling and then he got taken out of the lineup. You could say, you could kind of report that he's slump-shouldered walking back to the dugout or whatever. Um, you know, there's there's definitely stuff, like, that it happens there. Um but um, my discovery that there was very little of that compared to the TV experience was part of why I didn't go to many games this year. On a related note, though, I think the broadcasters, as suggested, these crews that TBS has are better than we had in the wild card round. Yeah. Pretty much across the board. Talk about the game more. Um, not as much like, uh, uh, let's make this into a whole discussion about the good old days versus what's happening now. Like, I don't, I don't, do, do right. we even talk about that? Like they didn't even take the bait when, uh, Gliber Torres stole second six runs up. I don't think they even talked about it, nope. which was fine with me because Gliber Torres just took a ball about two millimeters off his nose, you know? Uh, if he wants yeah, to, I don't think that was intentional from, from John I Curtis either. It like, like it really like slipped out of his I hands. I think he was like just he trying to, to throw reach back real hard. Yeah, and, because he, he just given up a tater, dude. He's given up a grand slam. So, um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, not as much just like opinion about how bad today's game is. It's not, it's not what we need. No, we definitely don't. And if you want better Twitter follows, follow, Eno on Twitter, I won't spoil the Homer for you. Brit won't spoil homers either, <laughs> at Brit underscore Giroli. Uh, I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us a line via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you're looking for a subscription to The Athletic, the best deal around right now is theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels, $1 a month. That gets you everything that Eno writes, everything that Brit writes, everything we're doing league-wide for the postseason, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, all the good stuff we have, $1 a month, our best deal since I started working here uh, almost feels like two years ago, about 18 months ago. So if you're enjoying our show on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to do that. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. 